Merry Christmas to all of you gathered here. It's going to be a beautiful evening. I'm sure that you're sure. Would you, uh, would you stand with us and let's begin the singing with O Come All You Faithful.
welcome again. You can take a seat. Well, Merry Christmas. I'm so glad that you have joined us for our Christmas Eve service, whether you're here in person or celebrating with us at home. Um, it's a joyful time for us to just do what we just sang about, to come again to the scene in Bethlehem where the promises of God are fulfilled in the birth of Jesus Christ. And so tonight, what we're going to do is we're going to have a night of joyful worship and reflection. And so we will sing some of your favorite Christmas hymns that declare the goodness of Christ in his birth. And then we're going to use this Advent wreath and these Advent candles. These have been used throughout history to symbolize the promises of God that are found in Jesus Christ. And so one of our pastors, each of our pastors will come up and share about the candle of hope, of faith, joy, peace, and finally the candle of victory that we get to light this evening on Christmas Eve. And so I want to invite up one of our pastors, Dan Carpenter, and he's going to light our first candle tonight, the candle of hope. I agreed to speak for two minutes. I did not agree to have to figure out how that works, Logan. We were all here last week. when. Okay. Um, so this week I've been meditating on Isaiah 9, verses 6 and 7, because Logan asked me to. Uh, so I want to read that first. Uh, it says, for a child is born to us, a son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His government and its peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. The passionate commitment of the Lord of Heaven's armies will make this happen. As I thought about this verse and hope, the first thing that came to mind is that there's really only two audiences for a message of hope. There's the audience that knows they need an answer and the audience that needs to be reminded that they need an answer. Isaiah 8 is doom and gloom, a serious coming. We're going to be overrun. We're going to be destroyed. But Isaiah 9, a child will be born to us, a light in the darkness. I'm fortunate enough that I don't have to remind you that we need hope today. I don't know about you, but I, over the past two years, it's been hard for me to live with the self-deception that I don't need a savior, that anything is within my control. We need something. We need something that has power over the things that we don't. And the second thing that these verses remind me is that that thing we need is a person. Our hope is in a person. It's not in the moral arc of history it's not in self-transformation. It's not in the passage of time. It's in a person. It's in Jesus. All of our hope is in Jesus. All of the things you want to happen in the future, if they're going to happen, will happen through Jesus. A child is born unto us. And the third thing is that Jesus actually can do the things we need him to do. He's a mighty God. One translation I read this week says he's a warrior God. He's a wonderful counselor. He's the prince of peace. He can do the things we need him to do. And the last thing is what Logan just said. That the thing we're celebrating tonight and tomorrow is that this prophecy from, I don't know, 2,500 years ago came true. On Christmas, Jesus really came. And because of that, we can have this hope now. We can know that all the promises of God for us 
will come true, that he will make good on all of his promises, that our hope is not, oh, I hope this happens, but it is a certain hope. We can know what is in store for us. We know what our future is because a child was born, a mighty God who now reigns over us. Born thy people.
So what comes after hope? You know, you could see Dan yearning to say the word. You could see him yearning to say the word faith, right? Because faith is hope expressed, that what you long for in the future would lead you to believe today, would lead you to believe now. That's faith. You know, when Isaiah said, and unto us a child is born, he was giving the people of God hope, right? But then he tells us more about this child. He tells us more about Christ. And it's clear that we're not just to put our hope in Christ, but that upon him we are to place our faith. Faith in Christ is central to the kingdom. It's the currency of the kingdom. You know, in this world, we know a thing or two about money. Money makes the world go round. I think that's how the saying goes. We all know that you need money to exchange for goods and services. The idea of exchange is important in heaven, too. You know, this world is just a shadow, a blurry carbon copy of the heavenly realms. And the concept of exchange is important in heaven. But in heaven, your Dogecoin is no good. In heaven, there is one currency that matters, and it's your faith. By faith, everything. By faith, you are forgiven. By faith, you are delivered. By faith, you are healed. You know, God gives us many tangible examples of this all over the Gospels. In Mark, um, Jesus and his disciples are in Jericho, and they pass by, by a blind man named Bartimaeus. And Bartimaeus, when he realizes it's Jesus, he says, actually, he shouts, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stops and he says, what is it that you want? He says, Rabbi, I want to see. Jesus says, go, your faith has healed you. Your faith has healed you. Jesus could have said, I, Jesus, healed you. Um, Jesus is the one with the power to heal. And practically speaking, he's the guy at the scene. He could have said, I, Jesus, healed you, but he didn't. He said, your faith healed you. Faith is the only currency that matters in the kingdom. By faith, you were forgiven. You were justified. You were delivered. By faith, eternal life. Now, you might be wondering, where do I get this faith? You know, do I have enough faith? And the Bible tells you that faith comes from God. Paul in Romans says, Um, It's God who distributes faith to each of us. And if you're asking yourself that question, do I have faith? Do I have enough faith? Then I believe that in your spirit, you're sensing that God is holding this gift of faith. And all you have to do is say yes. Noel, the angel did say, was to certain poor shepherds in fields as they lay, in fields where they lay keeping their sheep on a cold winter's night that was so deep.
Well, with great hopeful faith comes great joy. And joy at Christmas isn't particularly hard to, to conjure up those images. Um, Christmas has joy intrinsically built into it with, with music and with food and decorations and gifts and, and all of the things. But true joy doesn't come from what we're going to give or what we find under the tree tomorrow morning. That's not where true joy comes from. It comes, comes from God. That joy that the shepherds or the wise men and, and the angels and Mary and Joseph felt on that, that first Christmas morning is a joy that's offered to us too. A joy of fulfilled promises. A joy of eternal life. A joy of something bigger and greater than we are. Now, I want to recognize that um, for, for many people, there's also pain and there's suffering and there's challenge at Christmas, maybe even more so this year than, than ever before. And it's not that the joy removes that necessarily or ignores that. It holds it together in tension, in great tension of the, the struggles of this life, but the joy of the next and how it breaks into this life and changes our perspective and our hope and brings an incredible joy. And that gift of joy is available and available to be unwrapped and enjoyed in the, in the joy of our loving Savior. Because joy isn't found in our, in our jobs or our family or our successes or our status. But it's found in a promise of a Savior that came as a baby, that lived among us, that died for us, that rose again and gave us an incredible promise of new life in him. So may you have that joy tonight. And from Romans, Paul says this, that I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in him. Then you will overflow with a confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. Would you stand with us again and sing joy to the world? Reap. 
Repeat the sounding joy. Repeat the sounding joy. Repeat, repeat the sounding joy. Gloria in excelsis Deo. The scripture reading is from Luke 2. That night, there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified, but the angel reassured them. Don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David, and you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth lying in a manger. Suddenly the angel is joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, glory to God in highest heaven and peace on earth to, to those with whom God is pleased. When the angel had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, let's go to Bethlehem 
let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord had told, has told us about. Will we know peace this Christmas? Will we have peace this Christmas? The angels shouted and declared and sang, and on earth peace toward whom God is pleased. And the question to ask ourselves is, will we know this peace? What fundamentally is the nature of this peace? It's an end to hostility and conflict and enmity, but between whom? It's between God and man. You see, ever since the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve chose themselves over God, that has been the story of mankind that we see in Scripture and that we see today. Man choosing himself or other things over and over in place of God and putting those things on the throne of creation rather than God. And that has created an ongoing hostility between God and man that at Christmas, God says, enough. And he offers this peace treaty. And he says, in Jesus, he is sending his son to take on himself all of the consequences of every act of treachery and disobedience and sin that we have committed against him. And if we just would accept his sacrifice, he would be reconciled to us and he would accept us not only as servants, but as sons and daughters. What a generous offer of peace that God offers us at Christmas through Jesus. Will we know this peace? Will we accept this generous peace treaty? Some of us have accepted this peace, but don't have peace within us. We're worried about many, many things especially this Christmas. We're worried about our health and our family's health, whether we'll get sick, worried about our relationships, worried about the relationships we long to have, spouses or children or other relationships. We're worried about our jobs. Maybe work is too overwhelming. Maybe you don't have work this Christmas. Worried about money, worried about politics. And all these thoughts and concerns creep into our hearts and minds and swim around in there. And there's no way to get them out, or so we think. And the best we can think to do is numb them with a glass of wine or Instagram or Netflix or a night out. We don't know peace, but we can. The Bible says that God offers us a peace that surpasses all understanding, a peace that we cannot explain. And all we have to do is take these thoughts and concerns, these worries that swim around in our heads, and just hand them over to him. And just say, God, I'm giving you these things. And in exchange, he will give us a peace that we can't explain. A peace that isn't contingent on those things being solved, but a peace that carries us above those worries and concerns. That's the peace that is offered to you this Christmas. Will we know this peace? i 
and they'll come to us. by highest heaven adored Christ the everlasting Lord late in time behold him come offspring of a virgin's womb veiled in flesh the God at sea Shoot. 
There's one story around the birth of Christ that I have been thinking about as we approach the lighting of the candle of victory. And it's the story of the Magi, or as we often refer to them, the three wise men in our nativity scenes on camels um, bringing gifts. And these Magi were spiritually interested foreigners. Many believe they were Persian religious leaders focused on spiritual scriptures of many nations, but also interested in astrology. And these Magi saw in the scriptures, and then they saw in the stars in the heavens, a declaration that a king was going to be born to Israel that was different from any other king before him. A king worthy of all of the nations bowing down, not just one nation. Of all people being blessed by a king, not just one nation. And each of these magi, they bring special gifts. And what I want to center on tonight is that those gifts represent victory that Christ brought into the world as king. It's victory he wants for you today. The first gift is the gift of gold. It symbolizes royalty. It's given to a king to say, you are a powerful king that will destroy all oppression. As it says in the scriptures that in Jesus, all oppression will cease. That as he becomes king and reigns over all mankind, he is going to ruin and bring to an end any physical oppressors. Whether they rule through systemic injustice or abusive leadership, one day Christ will crush the head of the oppressor behind that evil rule. Or if it's spiritual oppression, how the sickness and disease of sin has infected every human soul to the point of causing stress and strained relationship. The promise in Jesus is that he will be victorious through his power over all oppressors. His words came true. That in this world you will face trouble, but fear not, he has overcome the world. And so there's victory for whatever is or will be oppressing you this Christmas. The second gift was that of frankincense. It was an oil that was often used to commune with God, representing divinity, but specifically representing a reconnection with God. And so it symbolizes this victory over loneliness that so many of us feel, even in a crowded city. Because frankincense was used by Israel as an offering. Whenever they would offer sacrifices back to God, as they were disconnected, their desire to reconnect, they would use frankincense. And so that sweet aroma was all about connection with God. And so as Jesus comes, he comes to bring this victory over loneliness to reconnect us with our divinity that we were made for, God himself. So that just as he said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I will be with you till the end of the age. That promise is true in Christ. That no matter how lonely you feel, God is with you. Emmanuel, come to us. But the last gift was that of myrrh, another oil. It was the most common ingredient in any anointing oil, and it was specifically used for burial. As such, it's a symbol of our mortality. That as humans, we will face the bitterness of suffering and affliction. But in Jesus, we see someone who has faced every form of suffering and affliction and death itself and overcome with victory. And so us too can receive that victory. And so the question for you today is where do you need victory? Where in your life do you want to see the victory of Jesus come? 
that you look back at the birth and go, I know it's here, and you look forward to the day when it's fully come. Because just as we light candles to symbolize this light coming into the world, there is still victory yet to be had. See, the victory that is promised in Jesus, that came in Jesus, comes in stages. The way the sun rises brings light into the darkness until noonday when there is nothing but light is the same way that victory started with the birth of Christ, that it was declared full, final, and finished at the death and resurrection of Christ. And yet we still wait. We still wait that final victory. So I want to read for you two passages before I light this candle and we sing, O Holy Night. The first has to do with light coming to the darkness and darkness never overcoming it again. It's found in John chapter 1. The word gave life to everything that was created, and his life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. And the second verse declares the victory that we still wait for. The hope of a king who reigns on his throne and eradicates all oppression, eradicates all suffering, eradicates all disconnection and loneliness. Revelation chapter 21 says, this is what is come for us one day. It says, I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever and the one sitting on the throne said, look, I am making everything new. I want to invite you to stand with me. We are now going to have our candlelight service conclude by singing O Holy Night together. And so we're passing around this candlelight.
It, uh, it's a gift for us to be a part of your Christmas traditions this year. Um, we do not have service on Sunday. We just encourage you to spend that day with your family. We'd love for you to join us for our first service of the new year, January 2nd in 2022, at 1030 right here at 2 Disprosis. Um, on your way out, if you wouldn't mind extinguishing your candles, and there's going to be a basket to put them in. 
Feel free to grab cookies and hot chocolate and stick around for some Christmas joy. But as we close, I'd like to close with a benediction to serve as a blessing on your Christmas. So if you receive this blessing this evening, may God give you a Merry Christmas. And may the Spirit, as he birthed Christ, birth in you new hope, faith, joy, peace, and victory. Go in peace tonight. And Merry Christmas.